The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman. Dr. Bill is a TV host, New York Times bestselling author, two-time Guinness World Book record holder, fitness guru, celebrity cosmetic dentist, and philanthropist who founded the Leap Foundation. Here's Dr. Bill. Hey, Dr. Bill here with another amazing Meet the Mentor. I will introduce you to Chad in just a minute. For those of you who don't know, Leap 2023 will be July 16th to the 23rd at beautiful UCLA campus. We just got granted more rooms. <laughs> it's a little iffy these times after the uh, pandemic, but I think we will have an amazing lineup of speakers. We have uh, John Legend and his beautiful wife, Chrissy, are on the fence. If they're in town, they will be there. If not, we'll get them virtually. Uh, I just spoke with Amy Adams, who's super excited to come. And uh, we also have Shay Mitchell coming. Uh, for those of you that don't know, she was on Pretty Little Liars, and she started her own luggage line, which I think is the best-selling luggage line at Nordstrom's right now. So we should have an amazing lineup of speakers. We're really focusing Leap on young entrepreneurs. Uh, this is a, a kind of a shift uh, from just pure leadership to really entrepreneurship. And we're super excited about the program. So stay tuned. Uh, we will post the speakers as we confirm them on our website. If you haven't signed up for Leap 2023, do it. Um, it's going to be an amazing year. And all the information is on our website. Just go to www leapfoundation.com you will get all the info you need one of the parts of leap that we really love and that students always rank as kind of their favorite part of leap is our meet the mentor um, mentor workshop and on Friday what happens is it's it's almost like speed dating um, the each mentor sits at their own table and every 30 minutes we rotate and the students just get an opportunity to ask you questions and we have doctors and lawyers and and people in entertainment and and outside of entertainment um, in philanthropy and education and politics and you name it and you get to meet these people and really ask them what their experience has been like in these professions and what their challenges were and how they overcame them. And so to keep the program alive throughout the year, we started this Meet the Mentor series. And believe it or not, we're ranked in the top two and a half percentile of all podcasts in our category. So it brings me great pleasure to introduce to you a young man that I just met named Chad Price. Chad is a serial entrepreneur with over 10 years of experience in multiple industries. His most notable company that we'll talk about is called Kettleball Kings, which he started in 2012. And he started that from scratch with two partners and is now a multi-million dollar industry. Fortune 500 company and an international company. He's also a former student athlete and graduated from Rice University with an extensive background in all sports. Additionally, he's a hemp and cannabis advocate that owns uh, a lifestyle brand, Life Grows Green, which promotes health and wellness using all natural ingredients and hemp products. And if you'd like to get a hold of him or find out a little bit more about his company, I'll have him give you the website and I'll have him give you his Instagram a little bit. But Chad, welcome to Meet the Mentor. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you. 
So you graduated from Rice and you kind of started working where? Yeah, I think, you know, when you graduate from college, it's everyone goes through that, the kind of after graduation jitters of, you know, what am I going to do? I think even if you are fortunate enough to have a, you know, a preliminary job or your first job set up going into your, you know, your, your final semester, you still don't know how that's going to be and what the transition is going to be like. So for me, you know, I worked a bunch of jobs growing up. You know, I was one of those kids that had a job since I was, you know, 14 years old. I was refereeing. I was, you know, working yeah. in construction. I was, I was always doing something to try to make, uh, make a little bit of money on the side. Um, I even had, uh, fortunately, I had an aunt who was an entrepreneur who I would work with on the weekend. So she had like jewelry stores. I would, you know, sell products with her and things like that. So when I graduated, I knew I wanted to just kind of continue that journey and really get into the work world, get, get experience and really figure out what was out there. I didn't have a particular field that I was super interested in. I just knew I wanted to work for some type of operation that I was proud of, you know, very similar to being on a team that you would consider a winning team. I, you know, I wanted to work for a company that I, I thought was doing something good and that we were actually uh, productive. When, um, in what year did you graduate from college? I graduated in 2007. Okay, so, so between 2007 and 2012, that's like five years. Just give me like a brief rundown of what you did before you guys started the Kettlebell Kings. Sure. Um, I played football for a little while after uh, I graduated. So I continued to play football, I played arena football. I was actually scheduled to play in the football, uh, a league that was similar to like the XFL. Um, that league ended up folding and I will say, okay, well, you know, this is time for me to kind of hang my cleats up. That led me to really my construction career, which I started working for an entrepreneur that I knew from college who owned a construction company. Uh, I doing project management. So I did everything there from demolition to installing seats, you know, like Reliance Stadium, Superdome, th different things like that. Um, but really it got, I got experience working there as working as a, on, on a small business, kind of getting to see the, the back office of what's required to run a small business. And then I actually had to go out into the field and work with the, you know, teams of 10 to 50 people you know, as a 24, 25 year old, uh, that was kind of invaluable experience and in, in really learning about that. After that job, um, I wanted to make more money. Uh, you know, I wanted to see what kind of upward mobility was in corporate America. I wanted to kind of utilize my rice degree somewhat. So I ended up getting a job after hunting for a while in, for an oil and gas company, TransCanada, uh, and working downtown Houston. And in working in that job, it was pretty much as corporate as it gets. You know, it's, it's downtown Houston. It's a, it's a 20, you know, 28 floor building that you're working on. Um, you know, you're reporting there every single day. So it really gave me the, the insights of, okay, this is what corporate America looks like. It doesn't really matter if I go to a different company. It's going to be very similar uh, structurally in terms of what positions are available, what I need to do to kind of see myself go up in, in those positions. And that's and kind I of what led it, to entrepreneurship. And, yeah, and I take it you really loved that experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that experience so much that I left. <laughs> that you left. All right. So, what was the inspiration in 2012 for Kettleball Kings? Um, it, it was a it was a culmination of things. You know, I think we we decided, or in, especially me personally, I decided that 
corporate America really wasn't going to work for me. I really, I really wasn't interested in the high level positions in corporate America. And really it was kind of those middle managed positions where you weren't re really being productive. It was a lot of networking and a lot of um, politics more than, you know, let's get on the field and actually make things happen. I've always been a person that, you know, I like to actually get things done and kind of get my hands dirty. So I started reaching out to friends and trying to get a friend group together that would at least commit to the idea of starting a business. And I just wanted to get two people together and I ended up finding those. But why kettlebells? It actually didn't even start with kettlebells. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that fortunate for me, I was open-minded in the sense about starting a company. I didn't think, hey, let me, you know, try to think I'm a particular expert at something. Um, it was more let's find something like e-commerce. Let's find a niche in e-commerce. Let's build a brand um, that people don't yet see on the market. And I think during that process, we came across kettlebells because they were just growing in popularity. Um, you know, CrossFit was really, really growing in popularity. Kettlebells were a part of that, but there was no real cool brand that had a lifestyle. When you thought of the term kettlebell, you didn't really think of a specific company. It was more of a uh, an ancillary product for a larger fitness brand. And we really want to focus on that kind of tight knit community of people. It's an underground community of people that kind of uh, fanboy out over the over the kettlebell. Let's say. How did how did you come up with the name Kettlebell King? Um, we we got together and after a series, probably a series of weeks of different names and you know putting names out there, creating short lists. Uh, we I think got the names down to probably four or five names. And when we were, we didn't want to, we always were, were data people, you know, like, like I was telling you before, we didn't know much about anything. So every decision we made, you know, we take an educated guess and then we go out and try to verify or try to get some type of uh, input or data. And every single person that we said, hey, well, should we name the company this, this, this or that? And Kettlebell Kings was unanimous winner. So yeah, far, you did a little focus group, you know. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, I mean, I think it's a great name. My fear in that name, and I, I, I'm called the name guru. I, I, I named Zoom, um, probably the most recognized brand in the world. <clears throat> Originally a tooth whitening product for us, yeah. <laughs> but you know, now a video conference. But I love to meet people and just say, yeah, I invented Zoom and then just stop there because yeah. <laughs> for a second or so, they're super impressed. Um, but the only th the one thing I would be a little bit concerned with in Kettleball Kings is a lot of your audience are women, you know? Okay. So, I mean, you certainly wouldn't name it Kettleball Queens because men would never buy that product, right? Yeah, for sure. But, but I'm surprised that women would embrace it, you know? I think, I mean, I think it speaks to our culture. And for me, I, I love those types of questions and kind of thought experiments. So putting that out there and seeing how an audience responds to it is, is very cool for me. At this point, it's given us, a, I think, a, even a more unique brand because we do have a male-dominated um, demographic, which most brands are not able to kind of really do that. It's, it's very hard to do that. And it's really hard to do that and also be inclusive of women and things like that. And exactly. kings, kings culturally, still don't you know they don't tie as closely as we think they do to the patriarchal ideas and the different things that kind of we're offended by um in woke society we did have to do things like we can't have men's and women's sets 
So, you know, there, there are compromises that we had to make as Kettlebell Kings, but it, at, at the end of the day, I think the name speaks more to the premium quality of the brand and it being kind of a, a, a step up from everything else that's, that's on the market in that space. That's, that's very interesting. So you guys started up this company and one of the things you did that is brilliant and I always encourage students to do this when they start a company is to bring on either no partners or two partners. Yeah. yeah. You know why? Yeah. Well, for us, it was decision-making. So, so we didn't, we never wanted to have some I type of argument. Vote. Yeah. Every yeah. time it was go, 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 make a decision and go. Everyone's not no, going to get it. That's a hundred percent it because, you know, you start a business with your best friend and after three or four kind of tied votes, you're not best friends anymore. Yeah, not at so all. With yeah. Three people, you never have a tied vote, which makes it so much better. So, so you come up with this idea, you come up with this concept, and and just because people don't know your brand, you don't just sell kettlebells. Tell them kind of you know what the company does. Well, I mean, I think just philosophically, when you're trying to build a brand, whether it's kettlebells or whether it's anything, what what we're always trying to do is kind of find that online community that's looking to build things together. So with kettlebells, we already had the product. It was more of how do we tie these groups together? Um, so for us, a, a lot of that looked like providing free weekly workouts for, uh, for people around the kettlebell in general. So, you know, we'd run ad campaigns just providing free weekly workouts. There's no sales ads, no anything associated with it. Maybe after like the 15th workout, you would say, hey, come check the website out. But it's a super um, content-based, <clears throat> lead-based, just lead generation process. Um, but then we also worked with the kind of the underground or uh, the people who are on the ground in these industries. So you have grassroots organizations, you have competitive organizations, you have kettlebell organizations that people don't know about that compete internationally. They don't get a lot of press and a lot of... Um, publicity, but that tight group net of people will be like your own focus group for improving your products and providing a product that hands down, it represents the premium quality that we were going for. So we started from that from the beginning and us not really having any, uh, any background with the kettlebell, we were almost novices and just trying to gain as much knowledge from any credible source we could find and then bring that knowledge to the community. And I think that's what every brand is really supposed to do if you're doing it right. All right, so take me through the evolution of the company. So, you know, you, you call up your two good friends, you guys come up with this concept with a name, um, you know, can you kind of just take me through some of the early steps as far as, you know, trademarking the name, getting a business license and, and kind of how you started to roll out your sales approach and, and maybe give us a rough idea as to what your sales were that brought you to where you are today. Sure. Um, when we started, you know, we started an LLC. We knew we wanted to start an e-commerce company. We didn't know what that was. And we knew we, we, that we, that might not be the, the last company. So we started kind of just a general LLC. The three of us agreed on the structural part of, you know, decision-making process and got all the documentation together. So we did work with a lawyer to put that together. Once we had that together, then whatever company we decided would just fall underneath that structure. Um, so after we had the structure, then we started the business ideas of, okay, what product, what website, what type of, you know, uh, official company are we going to start? 
when we, once we came up with the name Kettlebell Kings, things became a lot easier at that point to where we're just building everything out. So, you know, I think the hard part for a lot of people is, you know, how do you finance that, that portion of the journey or how do you even live or make a living for yourself during that portion of the journey? We luckily were still working in corporate America. You know, I was working 12 hour shifts where I had access to a computer so I could still kind of work and, and at least be available um, to check emails and to, and to keep things moving forward. And so we really worked kind of part-time nights on starting the brand for, I would say a year uh, before we really shifted gears. I quit my job. Six months later, my other partner quit his job. Three years later, the other partner quit his job or something along kind of along those lines. But it was a it was a progressive process that we kind of put in place based off of us seeing, you know, us getting traction and then just what was required. Um, for a while, you know, I was having to go to work and then go home and actually pack kettlebells myself and then send them out that once that becomes non-sustainable, then, you know, you have to make kind of those adjustments. And luckily, I had two partners that kind of followed me along with that journey and we culminated in the sale of the company. We uh, we started up Discus Dental from scratch like you. I had two partners like you and, you know, our company just kind of slowly started to take off. At a certain point, I realized even though I was creative and could come up with dental products, I wasn't a real great asset to the financial management of the company. So I went back to school. So I was taking night classes at UCLA Extension, learning accounting and, and all the stuff that they don't teach you in dental school. Um, yeah. Our company started off kind of slowly. Our first year, we did 2 million, 4 million, 8 million. And, you know, I remember early on, we were just selling little onesies and twosies. You know, they'd sell, we were selling, not Zoom yet. It was called Night White. Um, they were the take-home tooth whiteners. And then all of a sudden, like this explosion happened and we start getting these big orders, like two cases, four cases, 10 cases. What had happened was, this is way before social media. This was in 1990. Um, some dentist who had this random uh, newsletter called The Profitable Dentist by Woody Oak. Uh, Woody Oak bought our product, unbeknownst to us, and rated it as the number one tooth whitening product on the market. And all these thousands of dentists who were subscribing to his newsletter stopped buying what they were buying and started buying our product and our company exploded. Um, I was wondering if you guys ever had any kind of event like that, like an appearance on Entertainment Tonight or or Oprah or, or some kind of thing like that, that just really, you know, had you guys kind of burst in, in sales. Uh, I mean, the... The, the or was it kind of the slow growth and just it, keep it was going. definitely it was definitely slow growth for us. And when I say slow growth, it was slow growth from a from a revenue perspective, because we're so inventory heavy that you have to have financing to grow that inventory base. There's that there's really no way around that. And so starting off, you can only grow by, you know, the amount of revenue that you bring in. So we knew we had quite a but quite a bit of traction. Through, so, through our social channels and just the engagement our content was getting, even more so than the revenue that we were actually seeing on paper. Um, 
But with that being said, COVID completely flipped that on its head. You know, once the quarantine was announced, if you were in home fitness, you you sold out of everything. So within 20 right. minutes of them announcing the quarantine, we did not have a single kettlebell left in, in our store. And that's never happened in the history of the company. What's, um, the lead, what's the lead time on manufacturing for you guys? If you're lucky, about four months. Yeah. If wow. You, yeah, about four months. So you can imagine that's a that's a pretty big shift for for us, and it's a it's a good problem to have. You have a bunch of cash, you can place a big order, but now you have four months of people disappointed and uh, trying to figure out why they should purchase from you, why they should come to your website. Um, and I think that goes with you know what I was saying earlier about having a brand and having kind of other revenue streams and digital products, free right. content that you can sustain. Uh, your community on basically. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, yeah, that was a great, that was a tipping point for you guys. For sure. You know, I mean, look at Peloton and all these other things, oh, yeah. you know, for us, you know what our big tipping point was after the Woody Oaks, that was like a little tipping point, but the big one was extreme makeover. You know, when ABC put me on TV and every Thursday night in primetime TV, I get to like zoom people's teeth. And talk yeah. about it, our sales exploded. We went from 76 million that year to 101. The next year, 136. And the third yeah. year I was on the show, we did 200 million in sales. It was yeah. crazy. Ridiculous. Yeah. What, what would you say is the most effective mode of sales for you guys? Are you working with influencers, just building your community and feeding it? Or what, what's really been working for you guys? Well, for the, for that company, I think it's definitely the influencer community and and building it. So we, you know, we try to see ourselves as like the like I say the ESPN of the of the kettlebell world. So we're not just creating content and partnering with content creators in that space, but we're also aggregating the content from around the space. So people who may not have as you know might, as big a following or as big as engagement, we're making the spotlight to kind of shine on them and then gaining that favor and using their content and working together, create more content that's similar to that content. So it's, it's a, it's kind of a never ending cycle of a, uh, it's very similar to like a production company. Um, when you really think about it, you have a production schedule of content and you just keep feeding new content. I mean, in new, uh, new talent, let's say into it. And you guys grew that company and grew that company and grew that company to about 2021 and then you sold, right? Correct. Tell me how that whole thing came down. Well, I think we realized after COVID, okay, we definitely have something here uh, that people really kind of love more than just, let's say, the equipment. Um, We always knew we were a little behind in terms of the amount of revenue we're making versus the actual quality of the brand and the brand itself. But COVID kind of just really showed us, okay, this is what it looks like on full throttle. When things are maxed out, this is what it looks like. And that really told us, okay, we have potential. We could do this in other countries, but it's going to require infrastructure. It's going to require financing. And going through that financing process or trying to find the financing required to do that in other countries really brought us to the sale because it just it worked out better for us personally versus you know going out and trying to raise 10 million dollars to potentially give away the whole company uh, or kind of cashing out and also getting a chance to kind of be in on the upside as you grow the company so working with a larger conglomerate that already has the infrastructure infrastructure and resources in different countries 
where on day one, we can just apply our current SOPs to Europe, to Australia, to, you know, South America, really any English speaking country, and then go to go, go from there. So you didn't sell and exit, you sold and actually brought in a partner and stayed on. Somewhat. Yeah. So, so somewhat. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I say it's, it's a, it's like a three-year initial deal. Um, but the majority of the, the value of that is in the stay on in the, in the expansion. So right. really with, with the expansion, you know, you're, you're trying to four X, five X sales as you're going, as you're going to these other countries. I, I think that's really, really smart. Um, and I, I did something a little bit similar too. When we sold Discus though, it, it was it was actually kind of shocking for me because I had put my whole heart and soul into this company for 20 years. And we had a very amicable sale with Philips. Um, you know, they're huge. I think they're a multi-billion dollar uh, company. And um, I was fully prepared to stay on as long as they wanted me to. And they literally just used me to launch products like the Sonicare and this and that and the other thing. And I kind of missed it, you know, it's, <laughs> it was like my baby, you know, I grew this thing for 20 yeah. years and, and, you know, and all of a sudden it's, it's gone, yeah. but, um, you know, onward and upward. In fact, I have a new product that will feed right into your community and we'll talk about it later, but I'm launching a caffeinated gumball. Um, yeah. that they're called kickballs. And um, I use them every time I work out. They're they're awesome. Um, and each gumball is nine ounce is like a nine ounce cup of coffee. It's 110 milligrams of caffeine. So yeah. it would fit in really great with your uh, with, with your kettlebells. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So tell me what's next. You know, you 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 guys. You know, brought in some equity. You're still growing the company. Tell me what else is is on uh, Chad's game plan. So during this process, during the sale, I also started up another company that you mentioned earlier, Life Grows Green. And so that's kind of my, the main focus that I'm working on now. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm still working with Kettlebell Kings, but that's more transitioning away from that and starting the new chapter, which would be Life Grows Green, as well as some other consulting projects. You know, I'm, I'm always open for consulting on any kind of e-commerce brands and, and uh, direct consumer operations in general. Uh, but my main kind of new baby, as, as you would put it, is, is Life Grows Green, which to me is really trying to bring the commu a community of people together who want health and wellness around the products that they use, especially the products they use for, you know, uh, beauty, health and fitness, hemp-based products, um, lifestyle products. So, you know, all, anything that you can think of that you can replace with a natural product, you know, we want to replace that product in your, in your pantry or in your cabinet or in your, in your habits. And if students want to get a hold of you is the best through Instagram at real Chad price or. You, yeah, you can definitely reach me there. So, you know, if Instagram is your favorite social app, sure. Reach me on Instagram. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, you can reach me at chadprice.com. Uh, you can also reach us at Life Grows Green. So, you know, we're on all social apps, lifegrowsgreen.com as well. But yeah. And your I'm Instagram is real, R-E-A-L, Chad, C-H-A-D, Price, P-R-I-C-E. Uh, well, hey, Chad, thank you so much. Um, this was awesome. And I think really, really 
educational for our students. And I appreciate your time and your energy. And I wish you all the best luck and success with your uh, with your career. No, I really appreciate you guys having me and nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on. All right, Dr. Bill, over and out. To learn more about the Leap Foundation, go to leapfoundation.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leapfoundation or on Instagram at leapfoundation. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.